Patrick, here's your $20. No, that wasn't a bribe for the ping pong, so stop that right there. Um, I had to fight Sarah Feist for it when uh, on Friday when she was here setting up for mums, uh, there was a $20 bill down there, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if that's somebody from the youth group, and I wasn't about to ask my own boys because they would have just said, yeah, I lost, I lost money. How much did you find, Dad? You know, kind of thing. So, uh, boom, we're good. And also, um, happy birthday, Lori. Yeah. I only do that because uh, Lori and Carol uh, so faithfully um, get all the birthday cards uh, together. Carol will address those, and then Lori will sign those, and I'll sign those. And I asked her, I said, hey, how come I don't have a card for you? She was like, I'm going to do my own birthday card. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to make sure that you are acknowledged. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yes. Yes. And also, I made sure my phone's off, my watch is off. Um, our daughter is uh, not Lexi, but Amanda, is uh, due to uh, deliver baby number two for the Fogels, and uh, her due date was yesterday, so um, if the show, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go, Tammy. <laughs> so yeah, um, uh, with that, I think I'm good to go. All right, um, open up to, to Romans, uh, and, and I'm going to do a quick recap, I hope, of what we did last week, and uh, then we're going to uh, dive on into this week. So last week, we looked at a key passage in the book of Romans, and that was chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul declares, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And tried to unpack really quickly that we're saved from the penalty of sin, and that penalty is justification. We're also saved from the power of sin. And the power of sin is sanctification. And then finally, we are saved from the presence of sin. And that is glorification. That's going to be happening in the future. And next, we looked at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And we saw that God is righteous in justifying sinners. All sinners, Jews and Gentiles. And I shared that the source of our justification, uh, justification again means uh, to declare guilty, okay? And it's found in God and his grace alone. And in verse 24, it says freely by grace. And grace means unmerited favor. Some people have used the acrostic God's riches at Christ's expense, Others have other definitions or ways of remembering what grace is, but we learn that it's found in God and his grace alone. We didn't do anything to earn it. And we also saw that the ground of our justification is Jesus Christ alone. And then we looked at the instrument of 
of our justification, and that is our faith alone. And so we tried to present those to you last week, and, and faith's not our contribution to the saving work of God. Um, it's simply the means of receiving it. Faith isn't a reward or something that we, uh, we've earned, like through works. We can't earn it. And I shared that uh, somebody who, who wrote a book and also I had the privilege of sitting under his teaching for, for a number of hours a couple weeks ago, Greg Strand, he equates faith on our part, if you remember, to a beggar's empty hand. But you know, I read something uh, this week that gives us an even more complete picture to help us see the connection between God's grace and and our faith. And so on the basis of Christ's death, the Heavenly Father stoops down and he reaches out his arm to man and offers him the gift of salvation. And written across the Father's outstretched arm is the word grace. And he reaches down and he offers it freely to anybody who wants it. And then all of humanity, they look up and they reach out and they grasp that gift that that God's offering. And on their arms is printed one word, and that's faith. And so we have a picture of God in heaven who is reaching down, and he's just saying, hey, Anyone, Jew, Gentile, I have a free gift for you. And as we still think about that empty beggar's hand, I'd love to think that I grab onto God, but you know what? I kind of get the feeling that it's more like this. And God grabs a hold of me. And, and just by doing that, when the divine arm of grace and the human arm of faith, when they reach and they connect, three, three things happen. One, righteousness is transferred. Righteousness from the Father is transferred to, to those of us who are lost and who've reached out in faith. But also salvation occurs. Salvation occurs at that moment. So often, so many different theologians, they want to try to figure out, well, when does it happen exactly? And you know what? I just know it happens. I'll let God figure that out. But I know that Scripture tells me it happens. And the third thing that happens is, is there's a new child born adopted into the kingdom. The Lord can't acknowledge any other arm than the one of faith. Why? Um, Well, it's because the gift of salvation is offered freely out of the abundance of God's grace. Therefore, it has to be accepted apart from works. If the gift is earned then it's no longer a gift. 
but a wage. We've already seen, or if you're familiar with it at all, for the wages of sin is death. There's nothing anybody can do to earn their salvation. Well, finally, I tried to also show you how Paul and James were complementary to one another. Uh, I was looking at an article and rereading uh, from a guy by the name of Dan Wallace. He's a New Testament scholar, brilliant, brilliant man. He's forgotten way more than I could ever hope to learn in my lifetime or four lifetimes. That's how much I I hold him in esteem uh, for his passion and his knowledge of God's word. And he just talks about how James and Paul are talking about two different aspects of salvation. Last week I tried to share with you that, that Paul is dealing with this is a salvation by faith and grace alone. And, and James is just talking about here's going to be what that salvation looks like after it's come to fruition. Here's, they're supposed to go hand in hand. So James talks about, you know, as I put up there, the vindication down the line that one is saved. That's what he's coming from in, in James chapter 2. It's a down the line kind of thing. Whereas Paul is talking about the front end of salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can work harder all you want. It's not going to help. You can do all kinds of great kind deeds. not going to get you salvation. That will be the the proof of your salvation down the road, and that's what James was talking about. And then finally, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. Just remember that. And so that's that's where we were at last week, and this week I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, what would you like to look at in these next 12 chapters of Romans? I mean, what part of the video grabbed you? In fact, you know what? I'm going to ask, please take out your roadmaps. Just take them out. And if you don't have one, they're still in the back. We make plenty. So as you look at this roadmap, I'm going to ask you, if you're looking from the, the three panels from right to left, forget about the far left one, we already covered it now on that last week. But if you're looking at uh, 5 through 8 or 9 through 11 or 12 through 16 and you see the different stories in there, which ones would you preach? I mean, how do you choose? I kind of feel like, like a parent choosing one child over all the others. It's kind of hard. And so there's my struggle. But in chapter 5, you could look at the comparison between Adam and Jesus. And in chapter 6, you could look at the identification with Christ. Maybe in chapter 7, you'd want to talk about the struggle with sin and trying to keep the law. Chapter 7 is one of my favorite chapters. I'm not preaching on it. Chapter 8, the life through Jesus and the Spirit. And you can see on, on, on our roadmaps there, it's got that magnifying glass. Maybe chapters 9, 10, and 11, where you could see or talk about Israel's past 
or even its present and even its future. How about chapters uh, 12 and 13? Where it's talking about how the church is to unify and that love, forgiveness. In chapter 12, spiritual gifts, service. How do you skip over these things? Chapter 14 and 15 where it's talking about the healing of divisions. You know, when I saw that little uh, graph, healing ethnic division, I got to tell you, I was struggling. I I should preach that. When I see what's going back and forth in the news and when I see what's going back and forth on Twitter and going back and forth in Facebook, uh, frankly, I'm getting disgusted. I'm not a guy who, who, I don't preach on politics. I preach on Jesus. But I'm telling you, I'm getting kind of tired of reading the things that I'm reading where it seems like people are more excited about being an American than they are about being a Christian. That's right, Bob Marley. Hard decision. But um, I really thought, man, chapter 6, where it focuses on the believer's relationship to sin, But chapter 7, that relationship to the law, man. But I chose to focus on chapter 8. So, and even with chapter 8, we're only going to get through about 11 verses. So that's where we're going to be at. Because we're going to focus in on on the believer's relationship with God. And though... I don't think scripture, uh, one is more important than the other. That's just where God got my heart. And so that's what we're looking at. I entitled this message, Grace Walk. And we all want a fulfilling life, I believe. One that will allow us to reach our maximum potential in an environment free from conflict and stress But experience, and even Romans chapter 7, lets us know that such a life is is more like wishful thinking than reality. I don't know about you, but I long for a greater balance and consistency in my own walk with Jesus. I long for less frustration, less stumbling, less tripping over myself let alone anybody else. When we live by our own power, we experience all kinds of negative thoughts and feelings. I know I'm not the only one who battles with those. I've talked with a number of you that battle with those same thoughts and feelings. They come from a place of pain and hurts, remorse, Things like condemnation, hopelessness, and exhaustion. It's just to name a few, right? 
Paul wrote Romans chapter 7, verse 24 again. What a wretched man that I am. I think I must have felt that verse or stated that verse, it seems like almost every day of my life as a young Christian. And there's still days as an old Christian that I'm recognizing my wretchedness and I'm so tired of it and I'm so, I just beat myself up and I get so frustrated that why did I fall for that again kind of thing. And uh, it says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, <laughs> beginning right here in chapter 8. This is where we see the answer to that question. Now, I need to let you know, Paul is writing about Christians, and he's writing to, so that we understand this is uh, about Christians. Um, some people think it's uh, the possibility that it's written about backslidden Christians or carnal Christians. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't think that, that exists in God's perspective. We are either a follower of Jesus Christ or we're not. Okay? We can make all the excuses. Oh, well, yeah, I'm a backslider. I've done that. Oh, yeah. Guess what? I'm not a judge. Christ is. But in this passage, he is talking to the people who are claiming to be true believers. Doesn't mean they're perfect. I just got done telling you, I've got struggles. But it's not about the fact that, oh, well, I'm just going to go back into this lifestyle that is just so against God, and then I'll come out of it, and I'm going to go back to this lifestyle. It's like, no. You better check your heart, the condition of your heart. That's between you and God. But I wouldn't mess around with that. So in chapter 8, if you don't mind turning there, this whole section is life through the Spirit. It says in verse 1, Paul reminds believers that they are eternally secure. They're eternally secure. Verse 1, therefore, this comes right after chapter 7. Right after Paul has just, you know, talked about what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We who have put our faith in Christ Jesus are safe for the rest of time and beyond. It's a done deal. It's done. We can never lose our salvation because it doesn't depend on us, but it depends on God. Remember that. Verse 2 lets us know that we're also internally free. It says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So once we have made that decision to, to give our life to Christ, to accept the free gift of grace by faith alone, 
We're internally free. Jacques Swindoll wrote this. He said, the Holy Spirit enters the life of a new Christian and internally releases him from those anchors that weighed him down in his sin. Man, I love that. Because I tell you, I've had a lot of anchors. There's a lot of stuff that, that God had to work on in me. And because the Holy Spirit entered in, I, guess what? I'm, I'm free. I may not live like that, but I am free, and so are you. Verses 3 and 4 shows that we're positionally perfect. We're positionally perfect once we're in Christ. Our position is here. It's called progressive sanctification. It's that process of going through our life where we're trying to live up to our position. We're not going to make it this side of heaven. But that's still our goal. That doesn't mean we just stop. That doesn't mean, oh, I can't do it. Why don't we just turn back to Romans chapter 6 and just say, hey, why don't I sin all the more if grace abounds? Paul's like, may may that never be. He goes, just because there's more grace doesn't mean now you have license to sin more. And so here, it's just, we are positionally perfect in Christ. Look at verse three. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Our practice is imperfect. Like I said, just look back in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, or in chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, and you'll know that's true. But our position in Christ is perfect, and since we are in Christ and the Father sees us through Jesus, he sees us, not our practice, he sees our position as perfect. Now, in these next seven verses, uh, verses 5 through 11, Paul's going to show us two different and contrasting lifestyles. These are not two groups of Christians like I told you, but rather one is the non-Christian fleshly life, and the one is Christian spirit-filled life. I want you to notice the contrast here. So, A life according to the flesh, it looks like this. One, it's a fleshly mindset. In verse 5, the first part of verse 5, it says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. I don't know about you, but boy, I'm pretty embarrassed if my thoughts of what I desire in the flesh would be shown on this screen. Uh, I would be so embarrassed... Um, you would probably not want me as your pastor. But that, that's, that's somebody 
who, who isn't a Christian. They're not a Christian. But it's still a challenge for those of us who are Christians. Who might be kind of hanging out in that arena. Another, uh, another one is uh, death existence. And in verse 6, the first part, it says, The mind governed by the flesh is death. It's dead. It's empty. It's guilty. They have a sense of futility for those who don't know Jesus. Now, someone will say, oh, no, I don't. No, I don't. They do. Maybe they just don't realize it yet. But they will. They will. And I hope that day never comes for anybody. Because I would hope, like Paul in chapter 9, he cries. He even says in chapter 9, he would give up his own salvation if one of his fellow Israelites would just come to Jesus. Uh, Another thing we see is hostility towards God. In verse 7, it says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. I hate you, God. How about, any of you remember uh, Forrest Gump? When Lieutenant Dan and Forrest were out on the shrimp boat, and they weren't catching nothing, and there was a big storm, and everybody else brought their boats on in, and Lieutenant Dan hoisted himself on up to the top of the rigging. He says, come on, is that all you got? Bring it on. I've, I've, known, I've known quite a few people who, who have that attitude toward God. And in the movie, it, it all ends up okay. In fact, Force Boat is the only one that can, that can bring in ship because all the other boats are down. I think that was the Jenny one. And Lieutenant Dan ended up becoming a pretty good guy in that movie. If life were only like the movies. Another thing we see is a rebellious lifestyle. Again, in chapter 7, but in the second part of it, it says, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. A non-Christian can't submit to God's law. They can't, because they are a slave to sin. See, Christian, we're no longer slaves to sin. That shackle's been broken off. We are a slave to righteousness, to God. But you know what we do? We go back and we hold the chain. And we're like, oh, oh, I just can't resist. It has no hold on us. But we do ourselves the damage by holding it ourselves. The fifth one is it's unable to please God. Life according to the flesh, that person is unable to please God. Verse 8 says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please him. Now, the life according to the spirit. Let's get to something that's, that's pretty good. The life according to the Spirit, verses 5 through 11, uh, and a lot of them, it's the second part of the verses that I read to you. They have a spiritual mindset. 
In the second part of verse five, it says, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Man. That, that is a great place to be, isn't it? We also know that a, a life according to the Spirit, you have a vital experience. Didn't know how else to phrase that. But it says at the tail end of verse 6, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We have life. We have it abundantly. And we should have peace that comes in and through Jesus Christ. A third thing, life according to the Spirit that we see here, is, is it a Spirit indwelt life. Verse 9, second part of it. Well, I'll read the whole thing. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Another thing we see is that fourth that person is spiritually alive. Spiritually alive. Look, look in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, even then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. Though at times when Paul can say, though my body is failing me and I'm wasting away, Oh, look at how he just has the hope and he sets his mind on accomplishing what God wanted him to accomplish. The same should be true of you and I. And then the fifth one is a resurrection life in the present. I'm not talking about glorification down, down the road. I'm talking about right now. Because in verse 11 it says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. It doesn't mean eternal uh, uh, life. It's talking about a resurrection life. It's an excitement. There's an energy. There's a passion for, for living life instead of just, oh, yeah, well, what are you going to have for lunch after church today? Oh, well, I don't know. Should we go to the same place? Sure, why not? And then after that, what are we going to do? I don't know. Maybe take a nap because Craig put me to sleep pretty good. Right? I, I, I don't know. Maybe watch some football. There's life in the present. Now, I want you to look at these contrasts side by side. Again, the fleshly life on the left, that is a non-Christian. And the life on the right, that is a spirit-filled life. That is a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I've just some questions I'm thinking. If, 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 if you aren't a, a believer in Christ, 
man, doesn't this side on the, on the right look a whole lot better than on the left? And I'm not trying to be funny because this is a serious, serious decision. But instead of living in the flesh, we have a spiritual mindset. We have an existence that's death instead of living life with vitality. Instead of having a hostility toward God, we get to see, man, we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God lives inside of us. A rebellious lifestyle. Well, guess what? Some people, they're going to hang on to that one. Right? Because it's fun being a rebel. But it's not going to bring you spiritual life. And finally, uh, you're unable to please God. You can do all the best efforts you want. There's a lot of, of unbelievers who do a lot of great work. A lot of great work. But according to Scripture, that, that still, they're not going to be able to please God. And then I have a question for those of you who are believers. Um, and this one kind of hurts. Maybe do you see yourself a little more on the left side than you do the right? Just in your practice. In your practice. Again, I'm not saying you're a non-believer if you go like, oh man, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, there's a couple of those, maybe three that, ah. Uh, doesn't mean you're not a follower of Christ, but it's like, okay, hey, here's a check. Here's a heart check. We were made to live a spirit-filled life. Now, this passage goes on to also talk about we're obligated. Look at verse 12 and 13. We are obligated. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. So we're obligated not to live in the flesh. We have an obligation to stop engaging in sinful lifestyle because he has given us his spirit. We have the supernatural ability to obey this command. But also we have a second obligation, and that is to live spiritually. In verse 13, the second part, First part says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you? Are you submitting yourself to God's leading? Are you still fighting for control? Where's your mindset? On the flesh or on the spirit? You know, I can't answer those questions for you just like you can't answer them for me. Only you can answer your questions. That's what a grace walk looks like. So men and women, I'm encouraging, let, let's, let's take that walk together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you so much for your word. And 
Lord, even after preaching this, there's a part of me that feels like I should have still maybe preached something else. Just love this book so much. I thank you how it challenges believers and unbelievers. I thank you how it reminds us how much you love us and that everything we have in Christ alone is only because of the faith alone that you allow us to reach out to you who saves us with your grace alone. God, may we not allow ourselves to be unchanged by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.